All eyes on Iowa, all ears on Joe Biden and his campaign having to play cleanup. And for Donald Trump, it's all about the economy. This is the state of America. That's what I call Iowa nice. I love that Iowa nice. Thanks for your Iowa nice. Since the 2020 Democrats ascend on Iowa, questions reemerge about Joe Biden and his gas. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. He continues to be the leader in the polls, but other candidates are really moving up. Fears of a global recession and a weakening American economy have rattled Wall Street. Donald Trump tweeted, the fake news media is doing everything they can to crash the economy because they think that will be bad for me and for my re-election. The plan may be to just make sure that there's someone else to blame. I'm Kate Baldwin in New York. To our viewers watching around the world, this is State of America. Iowa, a great state in the middle of this great nation. The definition of the Midwest, just great. And that is where all the Democratic candidates were this week. I'm at the Iowa State Fair! Woo! (laughs) Only been in this race for about 10 weeks. Eighth trip to Iowa. Just great. But... Have you wondered why presidential candidates spend so much time in Iowa when there are 49 other states that vote in the presidential race as well? Let me explain. There is something very special and unique about Iowa. Voters there have the unique and singular privilege of being the first first state to vote in the nation. And they don't actually vote. They caucus, meaning they don't stop by a polling station and cast a ballot like you traditionally think. They actually all show up to a designated to designated meeting places at the same time to show their support for a candidate. And beyond that, why is being first so special? Because it means momentum. Quite simply, the winning in Iowa doesn't guarantee that you will win the White House, of course. Since 1972, a third of the candidates to go on to win the presidency did not win in Iowa in the primary. But it doesn't hurt. The reason why I love Iowa It's because you know how to fight and you know how to win campaigns. So that's why they're all there. They were all there. And here is what we learned from, let's just call it Iowa Week. We learned Joe Biden is still ahead. A new Monmouth University poll out says Biden holds the lead in Iowa. Elizabeth Warren, though, is making big gains, shooting up by 12 points since the same poll in April. And when one goes up, another must go down. And that is Bernie Sanders dropping to fourth place, down seven points since April. If you are buying stock, you should start buying Elizabeth Warren stock. Everything coming out of Iowa, and everyone was in Iowa this past weekend, everything coming out of Iowa, everyone agrees she has by far the biggest and best organization on the ground and the most organic passion behind her candidacy. Those two things are what everyone wants. Could that also, right there, be one of the reasons Bernie Sanders is trying out a new line of attack, a blaming the media for critical coverage attack? You can't say for sure, but he sure is sounding like another politician these days, one named Donald Trump. Does anybody here know how much Amazon paid in taxes last year? Yeah. See, and I talk about that all of the time, and then I wonder why the Washington Post which is owned by Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, doesn't write particularly good articles about me. I don't know why. 
Quick fact check there. There is zero, and I mean zero, evidence that Bezos has had any influence on the editorial direction of the Post. The editor of the Washington Post even put out a statement calling Sanders' assertion a, quote, conspiracy theory. But that hasn't stopped Bernie Sanders. And Joe Biden seems to be, I don't know, toying with the same kind of attack and media strategy. His campaign going lashing out after a number of gaffes that required a cleanup on aisle Biden. This is a press narrative, not a voter narrative. So they say. What got people talking were two moments in Iowa this week. First, Biden saying this in a speech about education. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids, wealthy kids, black kids, Asian kids. See there, he quickly corrected himself within the same speech, but it still got people talking. Then there's the former vice president retelling a story about a meeting that he had on gun control. I watched what happened when those kids from Parkland came up to see me when I was vice president. They went under the, and some, some of you covered it. Problem there, that wasn't only, he actually talked about that same thing a couple of times. The problem there is the mass shooting that he is talking about in Parkland, Florida. It happened a year after Biden had left office. So it doesn't really make sense. Is all of that troubling Iowa voters, though? In talking to some voters uh, out in Iowa, uh, it did not seem that there was uh, as much of a concern among voters as there is in the political class uh, among Democrats in Iowa, concerned that wondering if this is the horse that can go the distance. Regardless, Biden was trying there to put a spotlight on the problem of gun violence, and that is still top of mind for many. After the horrific mass shootings in Ohio and Texas, that led to something you rarely see on the campaign trail, a candidate overcome with emotion. Democratic candidate Andrew Yang moved to tears by one voter's story of her daughter who was killed by a stray bullet at four years old. I have a six and three-year-old boy, as I'm imagining. <laughs> I was imagining it was one of them that got shot and the other saw it. (laughs) I'm so sorry. That's tough for anyone, no matter if you're running for office or not. And it's really real and raw to see. Speaking of tough, voters, they get a lot of face time with candidates in Iowa. And candidates are starting to face some tough questions from those very same voters now. Could I ask you a question? Yes, of course. I understand that you are advocating temperature. Yes, ma'am. Who's going to pay for it? Well, we're going to pay for it because right now, let me tell you something. We're all paying for health care for everyone, and it's in an emergency room. We don't want to pay for Stand by to stand by on that one and what that means for Kamala Harris and her Medicare for all proposal. One thing, though, we do know we no longer have to stand by for is the winnowing of the Democratic field. This week, John Hickenlooper announced that he was ending his campaign. A little over six months ago, I announced my run for president. In almost every regard, this journey has been more exciting and more rewarding than I ever imagined. Although, of course, I did imagine a very different conclusion. Will other candidates be following suit? Absolutely. The only question is when. And now with 23 Democrats running in the primary, there is still more than ever before. There are still many more visits to Iowa ahead. Coming up, 
One issue that matters in every state and one that President Trump is definitely banking on, maybe banking his whole re-election on, the economy. This was a wild week for the U.S. economy. The warning signs and what the president is going to do about it. The panel is next. It's been a rocky, rocky week on Wall Street, best described as roller coaster. And now warning lights are flashing as there are growing fears of a coming recession. So what is President Trump saying about it? The United States right now has the hottest economy anywhere in the world. But you have no choice but to vote for me because your 401ks down the tubes. Everything's going to be down the tubes. So whether you love me or hate me, you got to vote for me. Is that now the Trump 2020 strategy? Love me or hate me, you have to vote for me. The panel with me tonight, Michael Nutter, the former Democratic mayor of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Joe Borelli, Republican member of the New York City Council. John Avlon, CNN senior political analyst. And Margaret Hoover, Republican strategist and host of PBS's Firing Line. It is great to have you guys here. John Avalon. The Washington Post is reporting that while he might be, the president might be expressing optimism publicly, privately, he is, quote unquote, rattled about what they're seeing with the economy. How important is the economy to Donald Trump's reelection? Fundamental. It's the only number where he's actually above water with a 51% approval rating. Every other measure, he's been underwater for the entire duration, basically, of his presidency. So what you saw there was a great distillation of kind of Trump the showman. Um, but you saw actually the two arguments that he is going to predicate his campaign upon. One, the economy. If you vote for the other guys, the economy is going to tank. So whether you love me or hate me, you got to vote for me. And then the argument of negative partisanship. They can't be trusted. They're too extreme. They're quasi-socialist. And then with little little salt and peppering of authoritarian language. Well, you need a little spice in anything. Oh, I mean, he come delivers on. the spice. <laughs> Margaret, maybe this is contrarian with my friend John, but for a traditional reelect, mm. good economy helps incumbent president. Bad economy hurts mm-hmm. incumbent president. Mm-hmm. But Donald Trump has also signaled that one of the fundamental things he's running on is racial division, mm-hmm. culture wars. So do you think if the economy would go sour, it would hurt him less than another president? No. If the economy... Look, there are only two, maybe three times in the 20th century, the last several, several presidential elections, when an incumbent president hasn't been reelected, and that's been when they have faced a severe economic downturn. Look at Jimmy Carter. Look at Herbert Hoover. Hate to do that. But, but truly... Uh, Remembered and Bill Clinton, George H.W. Mm-hmm. Bush, remember? And it was Bill Clinton, the comeback kid, who said, it's the economy, stupid. In other words, I hate to agree with my husband, but the, it is fundamental. The economy is 100% fundamental. And frankly, the racial division and the tensions and all those other things that he wants to exploit can only help him if the economy is good. Mm-hmm. But, that, but they certainly aren't going to save the day. We're not in a recession, at least not yet, Mayor. We are in, look, warning lights are flashing, but unemployment is low. Consumer confidence is still at something like an 18-year high. And like it or not, right or wrong, if you are president and the economy is good, you get to claim it. So does well, he deserve credit? Uh, yeah, well, he's certainly going to claim it. And <laughs> if, it's going, uh, if it's going the other direction, you unfortunately end up uh, with some of the blame, um, I think. But you go back to Margaret's uh, point. Um, there are some warning signs out there, and he has all this other activity uh, that he engages in, and he does want Americans uh, divided 
uh, against themselves. And he just plays to that base and forget about everyone else. The question is, are those same folks going to show up? And mm. there is a much more energized Democratic base out there uh, that we mm. saw in 18. And it's, I think it accelerates in 2020. Can, do, but do Democrats, what is, a, what is the economic argument that Democrats can make if the economy stays strong? I don't think it's going to be an economic argument. It's going to, th- this election okay. is all about him, anybody but him. And whoever the Democratic nominee is, I think people are going to flock to that person. They want to get rid of Donald Trump. And that's why Donald Trump is unique. Is that also why you, would you say you are supporting this apparently new campaign slogan of love me or hate me, you have to vote okay, for we, me? We have so much money, we're going to buy Greenland. So things are obviously, <laughs> obviously going well. <laughs> According to Greenland, it's Greenland, not, not for sale. sale. No, no, no right. of course Apparently they're, they're not excited but, about guys, it. But no, wait, quick history. The United States has tried twice, twice to do this before. It was so, a really good idea back then. Well, it sounds something. Trump reads the history books. It's not books. that well. It's kind of something. I'm just saying. We're going to Greenland. Keep going. We're going we to Greenland. A, you, we all missed a finer point that he mentioned in what he said, uh, <laughs> that you're looking at your 401ks. Think about we're seeing right we're seeing volatility right now in the stock market. Yeah. The Wall Street uh, banker is not necessarily the base Trump voter. So the true. base Trump voter is the, the the steel worker, the fireman, the cop whose money is invested in a 401k, a mutual fund. They are seeing their trend line continuing to go up. That's what they're concerned about. They're not concerned about the daily fluctuations. When those fluctuations get up on the get on the front page of the paper, it matters. But they're gonna they're gonna play the trend line, and that's that. I think an 800 point drop. Would make you pay attention. I mean, people when, are when paying you get attention. Your annual statement, it's still pretty but also, it's still let's add into this. You know nervous. who else was part of the Trump base? Farmers. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, farmers sure. are already feeling it, they are despite hurting. what Donald Trump would like to say about the yeah. trade war with China. No, right. and, and look, so a lot, some of them have been sticking with them, but the reality yeah. is the upper Midwest had a real rough time. The trade war hasn't helped. Um, at the end of the day, the economic argument that Trump's going to make only works if it continues to go on. And we're at the largest expansion, three quarters under Obama, one quarter under Trump. And the, what he's been trying to do is say, when the stock market's doing great, it's, it's I get the credit. And when it goes down, it's the Fed's fault. Yes, right? Right, and, right. And to, and to exactly pass the buck said. and pla- pass the blame. But I will say, all the kindling he's been playing with, race and class divisions, if the economy goes into recession, those things become even more combustible. Mm-hmm. Right. So watch out, America. Let me read you something also from the Washington Post uh, about how Trump is anxious about um, behind the scenes administration officials are not actively planning for a recession because they do not believe one will occur. And they worry that making such plans would validate a negative narrative about the economy and precipitate a crash, according to people involved in the internal discussion. Does that so make sense? Well, I mean, it's like it'll just idea. happen and then, oh, Wow, right. look what just happened. I mean, of course, you always have to prepare. Right. What are you talking you're about? Mayor, right? You hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Absolutely. This is like if we prepare for the worst, it might happen. So we're just not going to prepare. This right. is the ostrich. Well, it's, I, I do think Donald Trump, what we do know about Donald Trump, too, I mean, he's, 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 uh, he's afraid this will become a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because he's a little bit... The more we talk about uh, it, the more yeah. it's likely to happen. Well, yeah, like it's which obviously government. Which, but, which actually stop. kind it's, of... And help it down. It's backwards. He's a little superstitious, right? He's a little superstitious. I mean, that's, I think, what that's about. By the way, is this, if you're asking, is this a responsible way to govern? I think obviously the answer is no. But do I I believe that Mm -hmm. piece of reporting? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I believe that piece of reporting for every reason that, frankly, most of the reporting about the leaks in the White House have been correct. 
and it, it's, it fundamentally tracks with how the president has operated I, I think far. going through the campaign, you're going to see, you're, you're gonna see the, the president still continue to talk about the unchangeable things about the economy uh, that any volatility is not going to stop. When he was in New Hampshire last night, he talked about the 37,000 jobs for that state alone, mm -hmm. the 2,000 manufacturing jobs. Any volatility in the market is not going to negate Why is he underwater way. in New Hampshire, given that job creation record? Mm -hmm. It's cold like in New Hampshire. Points. I don't know. Because it's cold. <laughs> I think it's not, not right cold. It's actually rather pleasant right now. These are the like a little simpatico here. Okay, stand by much more. Coming up, Democrats had a historic number of candidates running for president, but that field is getting a little bit smaller right now. John Hickenlooper is out. Are you asking, who is that? If so, that tells you everything about why he's dropping out now. The impact of it. Next. not in, in any scenario run for the United States Senate. I'm running for president. I'm running for this country. I'm taking this fight directly to Donald Trump, and that is what I am exclusively focused on doing right now. Beto O'Rourke there, insisting his eye is on one and only one thing right now, the White House. And right now might be the most important part of that statement, as top Democrats are really starting to pressure the lower-tier presidential candidates to drop out and instead help them with another quest. The quest to winning back the majority in the Senate. That is a question facing John Hickenlooper right now. The former governor of Colorado dropped out of the race this week. He now says he's strongly considering running for Senate. Will more follow suit? Mayor, one Democrat now out of the race. No value in discussing who Hickenlooper's supporters go to. And I'm not being too harsh. There really weren't any. Um, but what does it say? What? Reality. We deal with reality. That, that wasn't harsh. Thank you. Wait for the harsh. Wait for the harsh, Mayor. What, um, what does it say about the next, the, the, the new phase of the race that we're entering? Well, uh, first, we always knew no way in the world by the time of Iowa are there 24 people right. uh, still in this race. And in particular, to the DNC's credit, with rules way announced early and, you know, they kind of step up mm -hmm. as time goes on. I mean, if you're not on the stage, it's really hard to raise money. It's hard to keep a team together, on and on and on. So, I mean, folks will start to figure out some of the jockeying uh, that will take place. And I think it narrows itself down organically uh, to a more reasonable number where you could have one night of debates with everyone on the stage and then you kind of you kind of go at it for every candidate is it a different calculation or does it fundamentally come down to when you look at lower tier candidates at least right now like uh steve bullock michael bennett beto o'rourke is it all about when the money falls out when they get out of the race well they Essentially that, but with the new Democratic fundraising rules, in order to have 130,000 individual donations, many of these candidates who don't have national fundraising bases already mm -hmm. were having to beg, as we all saw, for a dollar, just send me a dollar, just send me five dollars, and they weren't going to hit that hurdle. So Hickenlooper likely would not have been on the stage the next time anyway, and the process is going to begin to whittle them all down, mm -hmm. even before Iowa. Now, that raises different questions because there's essentially this fundraising primary that yes, prevents individual it. candidates from being able to break out in Iowa because they have to have cleared all these hurdles beforehand. You're never going to have a 1976 Jimmy Carter breakout candidate in this kind of climate because Carter had no money and he right, wasn't well known. Right. But I mean, uh, even in a big, even in the reduced field, I mean, someone could still break out. 
but they will have had to clear so many other hurdles yeah. beforehand that you can't, you but really are, can't but have are all tests. Unknown. They're all tests along the way. The Think about how it changes the focus of the 2020 candidates, uh, going from actually advancing a message to, to being popular to now literally they're spending so much time begging people in their local municipalities and states for a single dollar. I mean, this is not, yes, you have to have a different rule to start whittling down the field, but is this the right way for the Democratic Party? Have, yeah. they, have they sort of stepped on their own toes by preventing people who otherwise are serious candidates from advancing to the next round? Which one are you I, particularly? I know. I, I, know, I, think I was yes. hoping you didn't ask me. I wouldn't be able to come sure, up with you raise, a, you raise a fair point because for a Democratic Party that wanted to diminish the influence of big donors in politics, mm-hmm. they're having to get big donors and spend as much as $70 per one for one dollar. Well, I mean, they're, they're having to they're invest. It to small donors, but the, right. the fundraising well, effort still. The yeah. fundraising effort yeah. for big donors is essential because you need that cash on hand in order to be able to go buy the grassroots support. And, and look, you can joke about Hickenlooper's failure to convert. On paper, he had a great record and would have been a great candidate. Didn't connect. Moderate guy. But yeah, and, and I think if, if he chooses to run for Senate, we'll almost certainly win that, that seat. That is fundamentally not the case. It will my, be a my very Colorado-born wife. I, I am from Colorado, and that will be a very tight race. Now, now, Corey Gardner, because Corey Gardner does Corey have a good chance of re- 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 in the Senate. I'm getting to that in a moment. You but, two, on, but, 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 but let me just make one point. Western centrist governors are is somebody who the party really needs to be paying attention to. And right now, yes. all the centrists and the governors seem like they're not going to make the cut to the stage. That's bad news. For both the Democratic Party and the American people. Well, you saw someone like John Delaney who, who brought up a reasonable point that most people could agree, agree on uh, about reducing emissions and, and stuff like that. He wasn't crazy enough on the environment, and you'll probably never see him on the stage again because of that, because that's the state of the modern American uh, Democratic Party. I, I, can, let's, can we just jump really quickly into kind of where the discussion was headed, though, which is what does this mean in the Democratic quest to winning back the Senate? Do you think that there is a real chance? I mean, they, de- what Democrats need four pick up of four seats if they win the white house five seats if they don't win the white house i think i have that right um do you think is this a real possibility this cycle or is this like the texas is going to turn blue this cycle kind of dream no i think it is real um and look you won't know unless you try we should be putting out our best candidates who whoever they are wherever they came from and you go for it. I well, mean, that's why we have elections. Well, yeah. What we do yeah. know, though, yeah. is that the, there's a much better chance for Democrats to pick it up than last time. In 08, there was sort of this pipe dream, like you said, mm-hmm. that Republicans could lose Texas for some reason. And frankly, they got perilously close to losing Texas, <laughs> two percentage points. But the map this time is, is catered around states that the Democratic presidential nominee won last time around. And they're, they're frankly, uh, seats that were centrist Republicans who have supported Donald Trump are really going to come under fire. Mm-hmm. So Cory Gardner, frankly, uh, Susan Collins of Maine, mm-hmm. Tom Tillis of North Carolina, all of these candidates are in purple or blue states, have mm-hmm. supported the president, are really going to have tough races. Just in, in general, how much would a, how, and I, I would like, Joe, I'd like you to weigh in too, but how, John, how much of a loss would it be for President Trump if he won again but lost the Senate? Oh, his, his legislative agenda would be DOA. And instead, it would be all executive orders, and he would default to just the imperial presidency, which is his instinct anyway. I think the key is if a Democrat is reelected, but Mitch McConnell runs, runs the Senate, you're going to see the, kind same, of the same dynamic. Thing. So that's why no. I think we're, no, you know, Democrats. They're forgetting about judges. Judges. What, what yeah. a president well, can one do. thing right. that President one, Bush one. or President a Republican, a Republican House would do, or a Republican Senate would do, 
is push forward conservative judges and Democratic Senate or, have to be, or prevented Democratic nominees judges. From well, no, that, that's why that's why it matters so much to counterbalance it. To, you really got to r- control the Senate. And Democrats, one of the downstream effects of Donald Trump is everyone thinks they can be president. Yeah. And instead, focus on running for the Senate. It's and a, a lot of folks have Heisman it. Right. Well, that's why we have such a big deal. I just think the, the likelihood of Trump winning the White House and not winning the Senate or, or vice versa and not going together is very unlikely. And I think when we talk about the, the, the purpleness of some of these states, it also it, it has to be weighed in who the nominee is yeah. and whether it's someone yeah. who's not inspiring, sadly, like mm-hmm. Joe Biden, or whether it is someone who's a bit more dynamic who can motivate but the crowd. Biden is crushing everybody <laughs> in the poll, especially Donald Trump. New Fox News poll out. He's what, at 30, 31 percent now. We're going to fight about this in the break. Thanks, everybody. That's the State of America this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to listen on our tour podcast. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. We will see you back here next week. Okay, continue. (laughs) Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.